Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you who are joining with us on one of our social media platforms, whether you're on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, be sure to retweet there, uh, follow us on Facebook, uh, also subscribe there on YouTube, click the notification bell, and you'll always get those latest updates of when we go live uh, so that you can share that with others. And also as you join us, it'll just help to get the word out even more. And welcome to those who are on our phone live streaming. Also, we're glad to have you with us. If you need that number, uh, please see me We'll be glad to give that to you. If you are at home and can go to the website there, go to highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's there that you can download uh, today's worship bulletin as well as the children's worship bulletins for ages three and up and seven and up. Those are in the windowsill to my right. Bulletins are around the congregation, so be sure to grab you one of those if you have not gotten one of those. And while you're on the website there under the info tab, Download the prayer list, please, and I encourage you to be praying through uh, each one of those. We have one side that has our Highland Baptist Church family members that we know that are in need of prayer, and then our friends and family uh, that are in need of prayer, as well as those in the nursing home. So I encourage you to take the time uh, to pray through those. If you need to add to that list, you can call the church office. Uh, we, you can give us a note of that. Uh, you can send that to us in an email uh, at Tullahoma at gmail.com uh, or at highlandbaptist.cafes.net. Uh, or you can do on Wednesday night during our prayer meeting time, you can comment there on Facebook, and that's where we'll do our live requests. Uh, also want to encourage you to do your online giving there. Uh, go to the far right-hand side, give your online gift there. Uh, you can give to the regular offering. You can give to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, there are several other designations there that you can give to, and so I want to encourage you to take the time to do that also. And then let me encourage you, you may have seen this scrolling on the screen uh, with our announcements. If you've not pre-registered for Vacation Bible School, which I think most of our kids have, but that also sometimes goes out to our live stream. Uh, if you're on our live stream, go to our Facebook page. You can find this exact uh, card, not this card, but the one that's been on the screen that has a QR code. Uh, you can scan that with your phone uh, and it'll take you to the registration site so you can go ahead and pre-register for Vacation Bible School. That's gonna begin in a couple of weeks and we're looking forward to a great Vacation Bible School. I think we've got a little over 65 already enrolled and we're looking forward to a Vacation Bible School with that. If you're one of our workers, we're praying for you. And if you're not one of the workers, be praying for those workers as they're preparing and getting ready. And just want to thank all those who are participating with Vacation Bible School there. I think that's all that I have again, Brother Mike. So if you'll come and lead us in worship. Well, to go along with the service, we've chosen a couple of songs that we don't sing a whole lot. So uh, just know that I'm going to be looking at the words just like you, so it's, <laughs> it's hard to do three things at once. Uh, just when I need him most, 65. Just when I need him, Jesus is near. Just when I falter, just when I fear, ready to help me, ready to cheer, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, just when I need him most. Jesus is there to comfort and share just when I need him most. 
Just when I need him, Jesus is true. Never forsaking all the way through. Giving for burdens, pleasures anew. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him most. Jesus is near to comfort and share. Just when I need him most. Just when I need him, Jesus is strong. Bearing my burdens all the day long For all my sorrow, giving a song Just when I need Him most Just when I need Him most Just when I need Him most Jesus is near to comfort and share just when I need him most. Just when I need him, he is my all. Answering when upon him I call. Tenderly watching lest I should fall. Just when I need him most, just when I need him most, just when I need him most, Jesus is near to comfort and share, just when I need him most. Thank you. Amen. What a wonderful song, uh, Just When I Need Him Most, that goes along with our sermon for tonight. Uh, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 26, Matthew 26 and verse 57 down through verse 66. I'm just going to begin with verse 57. I've entitled tonight's message, When Life Isn't Fair. When Life Isn't Fair. If I'd encourage you, if you're at home, to bookmark this, uh, put a little, save it there so you can watch it even later. You could share it with others. Uh, because if you're not going through a time where you need this message right now, you will. Uh, when you're going to question when life isn't fair. So let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word, Matthew chapter 26 and verse 57. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the sky, scribes and the elders had gathered. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we just begin here in this passage that sets the scene for this sermon and for this message, Lord, we know that there are times and have been times and may be a time we're going through right now where we're questioning and wondering why. Why is life not fair? Lord, when life isn't fair, I pray that we will always come back to what we learn in the truths of this passage tonight. Father, I pray that you will speak to us in a powerful way, first and foremost, that if we don't know Christ as our Lord and Savior, Lord, that we'll realize that that's the first thing 
that we need to get settled. That's one of the things that will help to make life come into balance for us again. But Father, I pray for many of us who have that assurance of our salvation already, and yet it seems like the pagans, the lost people of this world, seem to prosper, they seem to do well, and it seems like the good suffer. And Lord, we question sometimes why. So Father, I pray that you'll speak to us in this message tonight. And that we'll remember these truths to guide us when we face those moments of discouragement in our hearts too. So bless your word tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So let me just ask you to start with, have you ever been unfairly accused of something? Have you ever had somebody say something to you that wasn't true or about you that wasn't true? Have you ever had someone deliberately lie about you? Frankly, the first thought that hits us is, that's not fair. Why do we feel that way? Well, the, real, the, the reason is simple. It's not fair. Uh, the, the psalmist spoke of life not being fair. In the New Living Translation, the psalmist writes it this way in Psalm 69 and verse 19 through verse 21. He says to the Lord, you know my shame, my scorn and disgrace. You see all that my enemies are doing. Their insults have broken my heart, and I am in despair. If only one person would show some pity. If only one would turn and comfort me. But instead, they give me poison for food. They offer me sour wine for my thirst. Life is unfair. It leads to the ultimate question that so many of us ask and wrestle with many times for all of our lives. Why do bad things happen to good people? Life is unfair. We learn from a young age that life isn't fair. A little kid, Jenny, she throws down her fork on the dinner table. She says, it's not fair. Johnny got the biggest piece of pie or the biggest piece of cake yesterday. It's not fair. As we grow up, we discover that life isn't always fair. And it's bigger than a piece of cake or a piece of pie. We learn that people don't share equally. Uh, maybe our hearts were broken when someone we loved decided to leave us. Or maybe we lost money that we saved for years. Or maybe we were injured in an accident. Or we've had an extended illness. Or maybe someone in your life has passed away and, uh, and just suddenly it happened. Uh, maybe somebody deliberately harmed you or someone we love. And, and from these very specific disappointments, many times what we have decided is that all of life is unfair. You know, difficult events may lead us to join the author of Ecclesiastes in saying what he says in Ecclesiastes 2 verse 17, so I came to hate life because everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. Now, I guarantee you, if you turned on the TV and all you watched all day long was the news, you'd get discouraged after a while. You'd begin to think this very thing, uh, that life is troubling. Everything under the sun is troubling. 
We discover through illness, we discover through accident, through crime, through natural disaster, and through the hurts that other human beings uh, cause us that life isn't always fair. And we want to stomp our feet and cry and say, it's not fair. Why did that have to happen to me? As adults, we even ask the question, why? I ask the question, why? I've shared this before with you. Why, my, why did my dad have to die when he was 26 and I was five? Died of a heart attack, taken early in life, not even in the prime of life, early in life. But why did God choose to let my wife live when she had two aneurysms? And why did God allow another lady who was admitted at the same time and the same age with an aneurysm, why did he allow her to die? Why do you let her live and her die? Why? 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 Here's the thing I want you to understand as we're going to learn. That we could know everything about how whatever it is that happened in our life happened. And for some things we could know the why. If this, then that. We know the cause, we know the effect. But even if we knew all of the how, if we knew uh, all of the why, for some things we could know the why, if this, then that. But even if we knew all the how, and even if we knew all of the why, it would still never be enough because of the pain, because of the discouragement, because of the disappointment, because of the hurt that we feel. That continues with us even if we understand, okay, here's the why this happened and this is the cause of it. I got cancer, it caused me to die. Caused this loved one to pass away because they had heart problems. I know the cause and effect. We can still know the cause and effect, but we still have questions. Why? Because of that pain and that disappointment and that hurt that continues to linger on. We could try to answer all of our, our, our why questions. Why do bad things happen to good people? Or the reverse, why do good things happen to, to bad people? And, and the answers would never be enough. You know, when no answer satisfies us, and, and we keep on asking, how could this happen? Why could this happen? We may even start saying, what happened to me is unfair. I don't deserve this, and I'm angry about this. No explanation about why this happened to me would ever be good enough because it's not fair, and I'm not going to let go of my being angry until somebody, until God fixes this. I'm just going to be angry because what happened to me is unfair. And for that reason... If we find ourselves not satisfied with the answers as to how something happened, I was distracted or it was my fault or some cause and effect, we still find ourselves continuing to ask why. We just don't accept that what, hap what happened to us, that we're angry about what happened to us, and we don't intend to change our attitude until someone or God fixes it. What we may be most angry about is that the universe and God are different from what we want them to be. But we need to realize this, that life just isn't always fair. When life isn't fair, you have to ask yourself the question, how do you respond? 
How do you respond when life isn't fair? Well, that's the first point I want us to see is when life isn't fair. I want you to see that in this picture because there are times when life isn't fair. And today we're going to look at the most unfair event in human history. We're going to see in verse 57 down through verse 56 here that when God himself was put on trial, when Jesus Christ was put on trial, it was the most unfair event in all of human history. No one has ever been given less fairness and more injustice than Jesus Christ himself. However, very few people truly realize just how unfair life was to God's own son. Yeah, think about it. Have you ever made a serious study of what transpired immediately before Jesus' crucifixion? So often, we tend to jump directly from the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. We really can't understand the cross and how Jesus got there unless you understand what took place that day that he was crucified and the day before. One expert said this, the trial of Jesus Christ represents the darkest day in history of jurisprudence. The man that was tried, convicted, and sentenced to death was the only perfect and completely innocent person who has ever lived on the face of this earth. And yet he was declared guilty of crimes that he never committed. Then he was sentenced to the most painful form of capital punishment ever devised. Notice what we read in verse 57. First, he was taken before Annas, the former high priest. It's around 2 o'clock in the morning when this happens. Court doesn't usually happen at 2 o'clock in the morning, does it, Brother Jerry? <laughs> no. <laughs> then he was taken before Caiaphas, the high priest, the head of the Sanhedrin, somewhere around 3 o'clock in the morning. Then he was brought before the entire Sanhedrin somewhere around daybreak. Now understand that the Sanhedrin was the highest court in all of Israel. It functioned as Israel's supreme court, if you will, in relation to our courts today. Only the most serious of crimes and only the most dangerous of criminals were ever brought before the body of the Sanhedrin. Now, this really wasn't a supreme court. It really was more like a kangaroo court, if you would. Because even though uh, justice, Lady Justice, is supposed to be blind, in this case, her eyes were wide open, and legally speaking, Jesus never had a chance. I want us to look, uh, take a look at the, the legal proceedings that day, step by step. I want to point out to you the ways that the trial of Jesus was the most unfair and unjust event in the history of this world. As we begin, keep this in mind. The high priest of the Sanhedrin, at the very outset of any trial, was supposed to admonish the witnesses concerning the preciousness of human life. He was to carefully reflect on whether or not they had overlooked some circumstance which might favor the innocence of the accused person. In other words, if anything, the high priest, the president of the Sanhedrin, the, the chief justice, if you will, was to be an advocate for the defendant. Before you begin with, with Caiaphas, though, in the entire Sanhedrin, John chapter 18 tells us that Jesus was first taken to Annas, who is the former high priest. He's the father-in-law of Caiaphas. Now, immediately, 
were cued in, something is wrong with what's happening. Because it was never proper for anyone to interrogate a defendant alone without other judges being present. Annas couldn't get anywhere, though, uh, with Jesus, so he sends him over to Caiaphas, where we pick up the story here in Matthew 26. Again, we're going to take, take every event in order, and we're going to see why every step of the way there would be no justice for Jesus on this day, and then learn how this all relates to us. Notice verse 57 again. So verse 57 says, Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest. So this is after he's already gone to Annas, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. So first of all, it's interesting that everyone seemed to be awake and alert at 3 o'clock in the morning. Why were they all gathered together at, the same, at this time of the day, at this time of the night even? It's pretty obvious that this is nothing more than a prearranged plot to take care of Jesus. Luke 22 tells us specifically that he was brought into Caiaphas' home. Now, the problem with that is that it was illegal for the Sanhedrin to meet anywhere except their own meeting hall, which was known as the Hall of Judgment. It would be like the Supreme Court of our land meeting down at the Applebee's or, or the, 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 long, the, the Captain D's or somewhere. They're going to meet down there uh, to do their proceedings. That, that just wouldn't happen. Furthermore, the Sanhedrin's own rules declared that any trial had to be conducted in public, in the open, so that anybody could attend. The rest, of course, is that some witnesses might be there who could come forward and give testimony to help determine the truthfulness of the case. Also, in capital cases, trials had to occur during the daytime. And the verdict had to be reached during the daytime. And it had to take place over at least two days. Since the Jewish day started with sundown, Jesus was tried, convicted, sentenced, and put to death all in one day, which was completely illegal by their own laws and their own system. And we're just getting started. So hang on to your seats because it's going to be a bumpy ride. Notice verse 58. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death. Now what's wrong with that picture? Well, simply put, you've got the judges trying to be the prosecuting attorney. Even more, the judges are seeking false witnesses, and they have yet to charge Jesus with anything. Notice also, any trial is to begin with a clear statement of the crime that's alleged against the defendant. And then independently, witnesses would be produced to support the charge or to testify against the person. To ensure fairness... The court could only try cases where an outside party had brought the charges. But since the charges were being brought against the accused by the court themselves, the court really was disqualified from trying the case. Here's what the law said in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verse 18 down to verse 20. 
It says, You shall appoint judges and officers in all your towns that the Lord your God is giving you, according to your tribes, and they shall judge the people with righteous judgment. You shall not pervert justice. You shall not show partiality. And you shall not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the, witness, of the wise and subverts the cause of the righteous. Justice, in verse 20, and only justice you shall follow, that you may live and inherit the land that the Lord your God is giving you. But they were already going into the trial blinded when they themselves had paid a bribe to Judas of 30 pieces of silver. Again, it's pretty obvious. They were supposed to be judging the case not trying the case. Go on to verse 60. Verse 60 reads, But they found none. They're looking for false witnesses, and they can't even find anybody. Though many false witnesses came forward. Now what's wrong with that picture? Here's the wrongness with that, that according to law, witnesses were supposed to be sequestered. As you know, the practice of sequestering uh, witnesses is still used today so that people won't gang up, they won't talk with one another and conspire with one another to tell a lie. If you've ever testified in a court case, you know that witnesses are never allowed to hear each other testify. Because if they do, they might say, oh yeah, what Joe said, that's what, that's what, and they could just tell Joe's story. Because their testimony could be influenced by somebody else's testimony. So the story continues. At last, two came forward, verse 61, and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. Now, even though there were two witnesses who came forward, the problem that we find is they contradicted each other's testimony. Mark in his gospel gives this detail. He says in, in Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 14 and verse 57, he says, And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. So not only did Jesus not make this statement, but the law clearly says that the two witnesses, that any two witnesses had to be consistent with each other from the start to the finish to agree on every detail. If they contradicted each other on the evidence, it was to be thrown out. Deuteronomy 19 again, back to verse 15, says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. I mean, that's great logic, isn't it? That one individual can accuse you of doing something, and, and we just take that one person's word. It has to be corroborated by another witness or another way, uh, form of showing that truth. And so it says that you can't be that one person. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Going down to verse 18, and verse 18 says, The judges shall inquire diligently... And if the witness is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he had meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst. Rather than doing the right thing, notice how Caiaphas responds in Matthew 26, verse 62. The high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? 
What is it that these men testify against you? Now, any lawyer knows that an accused person has to be given the opportunity to cross-examine and confront his accusers, but Caiaphas never gives Jesus this opportunity. He simply continues the interrogation. Now, let's go back to how Jesus responds, or rather how Jesus didn't respond. And notice the next link in the chain of events in verse 63. So he's accused by Caiaphas, who's continuing uh, the interrogation. And he says, it says in verse 63, but Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. Now, another error in this trial was that the high priest gives the verdict first but he also gives the decision that there is no further need of witnesses. In spite of, uh, of, of the fact that the law demanded an opportunity for the defendant to call witnesses in his own behalf, even that was not the greatest problem, though. Go on down to verse 66. So Caiaphas says, What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. This was the coup de grace as far as this being an illegal trial. Because the law required, first of all, that the Sanhedrin must vote one person at a time. In the Sanhedrin, the junior members were to vote first. The reason being was so they wouldn't be influenced by the older members. The high priest, being the chief justice, was to vote last, not first. Furthermore, after hearing the testimony in a capital case, members of the court were not permitted to render an immediate verdict. They were required to adjourn to their homes for at least one day. Again, common sense. Go home, pray about this. I mean, it didn't start the way it was supposed to start, uh, talking about life, human life is precious. And, and so Caiaphas isn't even worried about that. But they were supposed to go home, think about it, because life is precious before a final, final verdict could be passed. Now you start to understand why knowledgeable judicial experts say this trial represented the most unjust, irresponsible, fallacious, unfounded verdict in the history of jurisprudence. It was the Son of God Himself who had to go through this. That ought to tell you something. If the Son of God was treated unfairly, if you're a follower of Christ, you will be too. If the Son of God was falsely accused, you will be too. Here's the kicker. If life wasn't fair for Jesus, life is not going to be fair to you. The question is, how do you respond when life isn't fair? How do you respond when others put you on trial for something you're not guilty of? Well, we learn two things from Jesus about how he responds that tells us how we're 
to respond. Here's the key takeaway I want you to get from this whole message uh, tonight is this, is that when life isn't fair, you need to trust God to do what is right. In fact, that's the first thing that we learn. This is the first step when you face life not being fair. What do you need to do? Trust God. Let's go back and pick up the story back in verse 62 and 63. So remember the high priest stood up and he said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Wow. Jesus' life is on the line. Here's the chance for him to defend himself. Here's the chance for him to speak his peace. Here's the chance for him to fire back, to take a shot. He could have shut that trial down right there, right that moment. But what, is it, what does he say? Zilch. Nothing. Why did he not respond? I mean, have you ever heard the Miranda rights? You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can be used against you in a court. You have the right to talk to a lawyer for advice before we ask you any questions. Have, you have the right to have a lawyer with you during questioning. If you cannot afford a lawyer... You will be appointed, one will be appointed for you before any questioning. If you wish, if you decide to answer questions now without a lawyer present, you have the right to stop answering at any time. What did, what did the first part say? You have the right to remain silent. There are legal reasons why Jesus didn't respond. First of all, Jesus had been arraigned. That means to be brought before a court to answer charges, even though... He hadn't even yet been indicted. That means to be formally charged with a specific offense. He had no legal obligation to testify against himself since no charges had really been filed against him. He also knew something else, though. He knew that no matter what he said, they weren't going to believe him anyway. Remember, it wasn't the business of the council to solicit anybody's testimony. They were supposed to be acting in the capacity of impartial judges, not prosecuting attorneys. It was very obvious that they were determined to believe the worst about Jesus and to find him guilty no matter what. Remember, every witness that was brought against him proved to be false. The law required those two witnesses in the capital case to testify, and both had to agree. One witness was no witness, so there was no need to respond to a, to a testimony that wouldn't hold up in a court of law. It wasn't his place to testify against himself. It was their job to bring any witnesses to prove he had done something wrong. And they had been trying to bring somebody, and they couldn't find anybody, and they finally bring these two, and they can't even agree with one another. If Jesus had responded, he would have given the false testimony of the witnesses and the entire legal proceedings the appearance that it was a legitimate trial, which he knew it wasn't. Jesus did what most of the time we ought to do when we are unjustly and unfairly accused, simply say nothing. I mean, you hear it all the time uh, on the TV shows when you hear the lawyer talking to his client. He says, don't say anything till I get there. Let me get there, and let me do the speaking. So understand this. Let me tell you something. When your heart is right and your motives are right 
and your character is right and your conduct is right, when you are unfairly accused, when you are unjustly condemned, the best thing you can simply do is say nothing and just trust God to do what is right. We need to learn the old saying, if you'll take care of your character, God will take care of your reputation. When you know somebody is out to get you, when you know some, someone is trying to find fault with you, that they're always looking for the worst in you, and that they're not going to listen to you no matter what you say, then the best thing to do is just don't say anything. There's a greater spiritual reason, though, why Jesus didn't say anything. Peter, later on, looking back on what Jesus did, or rather what he didn't do, made this observation in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 23. When he was reviled, speaking of Jesus, he did not revile in return. In other words, when they, when they were lashing out at him, he didn't lash back at them. That would be us. We'd, we don't get mad, we get even. And so he didn't do that. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He kept on trusting the Father. Jesus knew he was in the right. He knew he had done no wrong. Jesus knew he was obedient to his heavenly Father so he could trust God to take care of the situation. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Look at verse 64. We see the only thing Jesus said. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What a terrible image Jesus has just painted before them. Buddy, the next thing you're going to see is me sitting on the throne and you're going to be judged. Jesus was looking to the future. He was knowing what he was about to go through, that what he was about to go through was the worst thing he would ever face. And where was he keeping his eyes? On heaven. Even though he was surrounded by his enemies, he kept his mind and his heart on the heavenly Father. Even though everyone had abandoned him here on this earth, he knew heaven was on his side. And that's all that mattered. And that's all that ought to matter for us. That if you are living truth, uh, living God's truth, you are, you are seeking to honor God. It's not because you've, you know, obviously, if you've committed sin in your life, there's consequences for your sin. But if you're living right for God and you haven't done anything wrong and you're being falsely accused and the bad things are happening to you, keep trusting the Father. That's all that matters. However, Ecclesiastes 3 Verse 7 says, There is a time to keep silence, and there is a time to speak. There's one other thing that you need to do, though, when you're put on trial and life is unfair. Not only focus on the Lord, but also tell the truth. What does the Bible say? The truth will set you free. So tell the truth. Notice verse 63. Verse 63 says, But Jesus remained silent 
And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Now the high priest at this point had put Jesus under solemn oath before God to tell the truth. What he had unwittingly done was to put Jesus in a situation where he wasn't only legally obligated to respond, but now he could say what he really needed to say. After all, this is the real question about Jesus Christ, not only then, but even now. There was a time for silence, but now is the time to speak, and he does. He says to him in verse 64, You have said so, but I tell you from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven in verse 64. The words, you have said so, was an idiom in that day, and a, a saying in that day that simply meant the answer is yes. The way you put it is the way it is. He said it plainly, I am the Christ. I am the Son of God. So don't miss this. At this point, everyone in that courtroom and everyone here today has a decision to make when we hear those words. Either Jesus Christ was guilty of blasphemy and innocent of being God, or he was innocent of blasphemy and guilty of being God. In other words, he was either a blasphemer and not God, or he was God and not a blasphemer. The truth is, not a single witness could be found then or could be found now to convict Jesus of wrongdoing. It's the, one of the strongest pieces of evidence in all of the Scripture that he was exactly who he said he was. Because if any fault could be found in him, it would have been found that day at that moment. They would have found it, it would have been presented in the court case, we wouldn't even be here today doing what we're doing. The amazing thing though is, even though Jesus has been declared guilty, he has yet to be proven guilty of anything. No, the only thing Jesus Christ was ever guilty of was of being the Son of God, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and the Savior of this world. One day, the ones who put God on trial will be put on trial by God. Ultimately, that day, God wasn't on trial. The world was. Jesus was proven innocent, and the world was proven guilty. He proved something to all of us for eternity. If you're put on trial and life is unfair, just trust God and tell the truth and you will be victorious in everything. Whatever happens in your life, no matter why it happens to you, if it's outside of, of course, your, your sinful consequences, we understand that. You make sinful consequences, you choose to, to smoke, you know you're inhaling things that can cause your body damage. If you choose to eat things that are going to make you heavy, you know that's going to do damage to your organs inside, and, and eventually that's going to cause deterioration of your body, and you're going to... There's all kinds of consequences for all kinds of things that we do in this life. So we reap what we sow is what the Bible tells us. So understand that. That we can't undo. But if you're living for the Lord and, and you're not doing something wrong, you're, you're seeking to do the right things, you're seeking to love the Lord, you're seeking to serve Him, uh, you're, you're being loving to God and you're being loving towards others, 
and yet you're being wrongfully accused, bad things are happening to you, don't go looking to God to blame God. Go looking to God to trust God. God, I don't understand why this is happening, and you may never understand all the reasons why, and we talked about it at the beginning. Even if you did, you'd still have questions. There'd be more questions. So just keep trusting the Lord. Keep saying to the Lord, Lord, I don't understand why this happened. I don't understand why I'm going through this trial. I don't understand why I'm going through this trouble. But Lord, I know you do. And there's a reason you're allowing these things in my life. Because understand this, if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior at any moment in your life, the moment you professed Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you believed in him as your Lord and Savior in your heart, he could have taken you to heaven just like that. He could take you at any moment. He could take you now at any moment. But he hasn't. He's left you here for a purpose and for a plan. You may not understand the fullness of that right this moment, but understand God has allowed the things to happen into your life to use you to make the greatest impact you can for his kingdom. Because here's one thing you need to understand. There are a lot of people in this world who are suffering. There's a lot of people who are going through some bad things. And if you've gone through some things, you can encourage them. You can show them that even in the midst of the worst trial and tribulation you could ever face, there's hope. How do we know that? Because you look at Jesus, who trusted God the Father, who simply stood upon the truth of the Word. He was the Christ, is the Christ, and always will be the Christ. If you have that firm foundation of the truth of his word. You can not only live in that truth, you can speak that truth. So when you share with others, you can share with them, empathize with them. I understand, I may not understand your particular situation, but I've, been, I've suffered too. And let me tell you what God's word says. Let me tell you what the truth has to say to you and to your situation. God loves you. He always has. He always will forever and ever. He wants you to have a relationship with himself. And that's why he sent his son to suffer the most unjust, unfair treatment ever to be faced by any person on the face of this planet so that when you face that kind of injustice, when you face a life that seems to not be fair, you can always remember Jesus suffered more. Jesus suffered more to give more, to give us eternal life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this truth tonight. Lord, I pray that it helps someone who is struggling in their walk with you, especially those who are believers, when they are thinking in their heart, man, life is just unfair. I hate life like this. Maybe we even think, I wish I hadn't even been born to experience the pain and the heartache I'm experiencing right now. But yet, Lord, if we had not been born, all of life has not been totally bad. Because for one thing, for those of us who are believers, you sent your son Jesus to down a cross for us and give us eternal life, and we accepted that free gift of eternal life, and we have eternal life that we can live in right now and for all of eternity. So that's something good to look at. It's not that all of life totally is horrible, 
Even when we think, gosh, I wish I wasn't even born to go through these things. But then we never would have experienced the love and the grace and the mercy of a loving Father. So, Father, I pray tonight that we would learn to do those two simple things that Jesus did. That while he was being accused wrongfully, facing the most unjust, unfair experience ever in life by anyone, he trusted you, the Father. And he told the truth. Lord, when we look at the story and what happened, he still died. He still faced the hurt physically and the pain physically and spiritually even when you the father turned your back upon him when he took upon himself the sins of the world and he cried out my father my god my god why have you forsaken me and yet he did all of that lord because he loved us that's all he was thinking about he was thinking about those there in the courtroom he was thinking about those disciples who had abandoned him, who had left him, who had run to hide. And only one who was standing at a distance watching the things that were going on, but never coming over to speak up. Father, I pray that even when our friends, the people we think are our friends, don't speak up, or maybe that's where the attack comes from, the one we thought was a friend, like Judas was amongst the disciples, Father, I pray that we would look to you and we would trust you. And we would know, Lord, that some way, somehow, you're going to use all of these things that are going on in my life to bring glory to your name. And you're going to use all of these things to bring good into my life and into the lives of others. So, Lord, help us to learn some things that we can share with others, that we can share the truth of the gospel with others. And, Lord, that we can help them to walk that path that they're walking, to show them there is hope, even in the darkest valley they may be going through. Lord, bless us. Use us. Help us to live in the truth of your word, to stand firmly upon the rock. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, as we sing our hymn of invitation, Jesus is Lord of all. Maybe you just need to simply come tonight and pray, maybe to pray where you're at, or maybe you're there online and, and you need some prayer. You could just comment there on Facebook and let us know what your prayer request is, and we'll be glad to pray with you. But especially if you need to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, would you call out to him? Would you come to receive him during this invitation? Brother Mike, if you'll come.
Blessed Redeemer, our glorious King, worthy of reverence I pray. Tribute and praises I joyfully bring to Him through life the way. Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is Lord of all. Lord of my thoughts and my service each day. Jesus is Lord of all. Amen. Thank you so much for the mic. Thank you for being here with us tonight in person. Thank you for being with us online there. We look forward to seeing you again Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. We'll be back in the book of Jonah. Uh, we're almost there in finishing out the book. We've got uh, chapter 3 that we'll be looking at this week. Uh, and then we'll be taking a break because I'll be out of town for a week. And then we'll have vacation Bible school and then out of town again another week. So it's going to be a little while before we finish the book of Jonah. Uh, but I encourage you to come this Wednesday night, uh, hear the book of Jonah in chapter 3. Great, great lesson to learn in the book of Jonah and then we'll be back again next Sunday morning uh, at 9:15 for Sunday school 10:30 for worship uh, brother Nathan Dorrell will be preaching for me next Sunday as I'll be off on vacation for a week uh, and then uh, brother Mike uh, Puckett Mark Puckett will be here the following Wednesday to share the message so look forward to see you this Wednesday uh, you have a safe week we'll see you uh, and may God bless you